0: This is Crime Connections and we're your hosts. I'm Sarah.
1: And I'm Jackie.
0: And today we wanted to tell you about a case that has rocked the nation. This is the missing persons case of Jennifer Dulos, or many of you may know her as Gone Mom. Now let's get into it. Who was Jennifer? Before she was Jennifer Dulos, she was Jennifer Farber. She was a well-to-do writer and even wrote plays and had one on the big stage in new york city she was extremely intelligent and received her degree at the prestigious brown university graduating with honors and also earned an mfa in writing at nyu she loved living in the big city but in 1999 her and her companion friend sophie moved to colorado she was on a quest to finish her novel at the time and needed something other than big city living she needed quiet with no distractions Her friends and family were obviously worried about her moving alone so far away, but they knew that she was strong and can do it, and at the time she was in her 30s, so there wasn't much they could do to stop her. While in Aspen, Colorado, in a chance encounter, she reunited with an old college heartthrob, Fotis Dulos. Some background on Fotis is that he was raised in Greece and he was also very intelligent, beginning his college starting at Brown and then finishing at Columbia University. Along with that, he was a world-famous water skier and had won many awards doing this. At the time of bumping into Jennifer, he was a financial advisor and he was also married. Nothing really came of this chance encounter at the time, but it did make them both undoubtedly excited. Jennifer's time in Colorado ended around 2003, when she returned to New York City, Fotis found out, and he pursued her. Now, it was unclear to me exactly when Fotis began his divorce proceedings with his first wife, but what I do know is that only six weeks after his divorce was finalized, in 2004, Jennifer and Fotis were getting married at the beautiful Metropolitan Club, and this place is literally like a fairy tale. Not long after their marriage, in 2006, they started having babies, and that's when their first set of twins was born then their second set of twins were born in 2008 and then their final child was born in 2010 and this was also the year they moved into their beautiful home which was more like a mansion in Farmington Connecticut this is an extremely wealthy area and is known for their low crime rate and idyllic for raising children this all happened within a span of four and a half years so pressure with raising five new babies That was a lot. Now I didn't really research the children that much because I don't think it's important that we talk about them today because none of them are adults. What I do know about them though is that they were ran as a unit according to the family spokeswoman Carrie Luft, who is also a dear friend of the family and was Jennifer's best friend. According to the Vanity Fair article that covered this case is that all the children were named with Greek names and not of Doulos' country of ancestry. In an interview from Behind the Headlines, Carrie said that the family hired a nanny and I only found her name in one of the articles that I researched but her name was Lauren and I would like to mention at this time by all accounts she seemed really amazing and she stayed with the family for seven years and I couldn't find if she still works for the family at this time or not but it wouldn't surprise me if she still was working with them. In the beginning it seemed like Fotis was a doting husband and he seemed to be really involved but not long after the marriage he quit his financial advisor position and started a company called the four group which built expensive homes geared towards the most elite clientele what i have not mentioned yet is that jennifer came from a very wealthy upbringing according to the focus news article both jennifer doulos's parents worked for a living her mother gloria farber was an educational philanthropist her father Hilliard Farber was an immensely successful banker at Chase Manhattan Bank and he was the youngest vice president. Hilliard was the farmer and chief executor of Hilliard Farber & Co, which was a brokerage and Gloria's brother also married Liz Claiborne who was a designer of the Liz Claiborne clothing line that took over the fashion industry in the 80's. To say it frankly, the family on all the immediate sides of Jennifer were millionaires. With that information at hand, the Farbers were the main investors of the four group. Jennifer's father seemed to believe in the company had no issues writing million dollar checks to Fotus to fund his projects. But at some time, there began to be a shift. He was taking business trips without Jennifer that seemed more like mini vacations. He would schmooze with the most elite people and he claimed he did it because he had to uphold a certain image so the people trusted him to build their homes. He seemed like he was still living like a bachelor on the dime of her family. Obviously, Jennifer picked up on this because she was getting minimal help raising the children, and most of the help she was getting was from their nanny because he would leave sometimes for over half the month on these so called work trips.
1: That's a long time. Mm hmm.
0: When she asked him to be home more, he didn't really agree to that. Now, I would like to say take this with a grain of salt because I couldn't find articles that corroborated this, but I did watch the Gone Mom presentation of this case from Lifetime, and what they present to be one of the biggest issues was when he didn't agree to not going on these trips as much, she shut off his credit card, and that pissed him off, and so he came home.
1: Which rightfully so. In my opinion,
0: correct. But you have to understand too, like he's going on these trips with her family's money. He's, That's what I'm
1: saying. Like she had every right to cut oh, off. Oh, I thought credit you meant card. like
0: he, she shouldn't have cut no, no, his no. credit I card. No, I mean off.
1: rightfully so. She does. She had the right to cut it off.
0: Yeah. Now I couldn't find documentation that corroborated this, but in the presentation of this case, they did do it, and that would have been the start of the resentment with her in the movie. Now, again, it's a movie.
1: Things are glamorized. Things glamorized. Are,
0: absolutely. Know but I could have seen something like this happening. Then when Hilliard Farber passed away, that also formed more tension because now his funds were cut. Because Gloria Farber did not seem as generous with the money for his company, which obviously she's watching her daughter struggle raising five kids under 10 years old. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. And not to mention, Jennifer was trying to do her own career as well, writing novels, and she was very good at it. But she couldn't focus on that because she was doing all this on her own, taking care of the house, raising the children. She was essentially a single mom. Yeah. And then came the ultimate betrayal when he took yet another business trip, and I say it loosely, to Miami, and he met Michelle Traconis. Shortly after returning home, he hired her at the four group. Michelle was also a mother of one. She enjoyed water skiing and traveling as much as Fotis. They formed a sexual relationship and when Jennifer found out she wanted him to end it, but he wanted to have his cake and eat it too. He did not want to divorce for obvious reasons because her family was his cash cow.
1: Which I'm just confused at because if he's building these ginormous luxury homes for people, how is he not making money with that?
0: He's not selling them. He keeps building them, and they're not selling.
1: Oh, okay. Because, like, that's what I was confused. I'm like, how is he not bringing in money?
0: But, okay. That well, and, in 2010, that's right after the recession. It doesn't yeah, matter how wealthy true. you are. It You're not going to sell a home if people don't have the money to buy it, mm-hmm. and they're not getting the loans to do so. Yeah. So along with all of that going on, he also had this very toxic trait where he would unload on her and verbally assault her. And he even threatened her on multiple occasions. And on one occasion, he was screaming at her and chased her through the home. She was fearing for her life. And this event was corroborated by the nanny as the witness. And in this instance, she locked herself in the room until he left. I don't know where he went. I don't know if he went to a different part of the house, but it was corroborated in court documents by both her and the nanny. Hmm. And in the the behind-the-scenes headlines interview, Carrie also mentioned that Fotis acquired a gun that he used, and he would threaten her with this gun.
1: Oh, that's terrifying.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I could not find if this gun was acquired before or after the divorce papers were filed, but I do know not long after the situation of her locking herself in that room, did she remove the children from the home and take them to her mother's, and then when everyone is in a safe place, she served him with divorce papers. This is a quote from jennifer i know filing this divorce and filing this motion will enrage him she wrote in a motion seeking emergency custody of the children in june 2017 i know he will retaliate by trying to harm me in some way he has the attitude that he must always win at all costs he is dangerous and ruthless when he believes that he has been wronged during the course of our marriage he has told me about sickening revenge fantasies and plans to cause physical harm to others who have wronged him
1: doesn't even surprise me hmm With oh, a man like this.
0: Around this time, on June 19th, 2017, Fotis called the police on Jennifer and reported that she had kidnapped their children and would not return his phone calls, but the judge on their case saw right through this bogus allegation. Thank God. Mm-hmm. We know a lot about Jennifer's feelings when it comes to this because she wrote frequently in a blog. The idea when they first married was that she was going to continue and finish another novel that she had started around the time they got married. She was to write and he was to uphold the four group, but Jennifer had to put her career and her dreams on hold because he left all the childcare and housework up to her, which we had mentioned previously. When she applied for the emergency immediate custody of the children, she was granted the custody because he was deemed emotionally abusive and for someone who cares so much about their appearance, this most likely enraged him to another level. Not long after he was granted visitation with assistance from a court-appointed supervisor. This also made him very angry, but he had threatened on one or more occasions that he would kidnap the children and she would never see them again. He also threatened to kill her when she served him papers. At one point, he even tried to run her down with his truck but veered off at the last second. They went through a brutal divorce, which was never fully finalized, and unfortunately for him she had financial backing and however he did not. Not long after her removing the children, she moved into her 69 Wellis Lane home. She seemed to be moving on and focusing on her career and taking the healthy steps for her and her children to move past the trauma he put them through. Fotis, on the other hand, moved Michelle Traconis and her daughter into their once full of dreams for the future mansion. Fotis seemed to be playing house and starting a new life, but he still wanted his five babies back. At one point, there were allegations he asked the children to lie about being around Michelle Traconis, and that ultimately was the reason all of his custody was revoked. The divorce records include more than 300 motions when a judge learned that Fotis had hung out with the children and Michelle Traconis at the same time, which was not permitted, and then he instructed the children to lie to Jennifer about this. His visits with the children were curtailed. It began to seem like, at the end of the legal process, Fotis would not only lose custody but go bankrupt, according to the Vanity Fair article. At the time of the divorce proceedings, she filed for a restraining order, but she was denied because she could not provide. physical proof that he had physically assaulted her therefore he was still able to pull his stunts scaring and threatening her
1: I would like to say, I don't understand why you cannot put a restraining order on someone.
0: If they threaten to kill you?
1: Or if if you just don't want that person to be around you legally, why can you not force that? Like, I don't understand that. Why do you have to prove that physically physically hurt you you or something? That does not make one sense. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Well, and
0: that's the thing, too. It's like the lead up. After someone says so many times, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you. Eventually, either they're not going to be a chicken and not do it, or they're going to be like, I'm going to follow through with what I've been saying I'm going to do. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you have someone who's been begging to have the restraining order go missing in this case Mm -hmm. or murdered. And, and why, why it was senseless. She could have had all that. And yeah, that doesn't mean he can't break the restraining order, but he would have had, more repercussions if he would have had Broken. the restraining order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he tried to run her down with a damn truck, for God's sake.
1: It's always women are crying wolf and we just want attention and aren't taken seriously. It and happens then too many times. Mm-hmm.
0: So on the morning of May 24th, 2019, around 8 a.m., Jennifer drops her children off to school and then she returns home to prepare for a doctor's appointment in the city. And that is it. 50 year old Jennifer Dulos was never seen or heard from again. Now I'm gonna tell you what Fotis Doulos was doing on the morning of May 24th, 2019. Fotis woke up on May 24th, 2019. He had his alarm set for 4.20 a.m. Then he leaves the Farmington home in a red Tacoma pickup truck owned by one of his employees. I'm not sure why it was there. It was never really mentioned why it was there, but it was. At 5.20 a.m., he was caught on camera on the Merritt Parkway cameras, which is a highway, and ironically it's going towards jennifer's home at 7 40 a.m he's caught on camera by a school bus near jennifer's home at 10 25 a.m jennifer's suburban is caught on camera by one of the neighbors and at 11:09 a.m he is seen back on the merritt parkway and at 1 30 p.m he is back at his home now i'm going to tell you what the police think happened during this time frame presumably this is him he's caught on camera biking near jennifer's home on a neighbor's house camera. What police believe happened is that he parked his truck at the nearby Waverly Park in New Canaan and biked to her home and waited for her to come home after she dropped the children off. They believe he murdered her in the garage and then cleaned up and then put her, the cleaning supplies and his bike into her suburban and drove it back to the park where he transferred all the cleaning supplies, the bike and her body into the red Tacoma pickup truck. Somewhere in between New Canaan and Farmington, he hit her body. Now I would like to point out at this time, he also asked the owner of the Red Tacoma pickup truck to replace the seats. Yeah, he asked Are them. Are you kidding me? I'm not. I'm not. He asked them to replace the, the seats in the truck because in one of the interviews, he said he hugged Jennifer and he didn't want her hair to be on the seat if they had to search the truck. Bullshit. That's what I'm saying. Please. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yep. Police were notified by the nanny after she couldn't get a hold of Jennifer. She went to Jennifer's home and noticed that her purse was laying on the floor, which obviously was weird. Mm -hmm. She also noted that the paper towels were missing, and she knew it was weird because she had stocked them the night before, and there was almost none there. She also mentioned that the car that she was going to take into the city was not the one missing. She specifically said she was going to take her other vehicle into the city. Now, I found that she herself had the appointment at around 10 a.m., and then she also had a dentist appointment for her children in the city as well. And I guess she was supposed to meet the nanny at their like dentist appointment. Mm-hmm. And the nanny noted that in all the time that she has worked for the family, not once could she not get a hold of Jennifer, no matter what. And she said it was completely out of character for Jennifer. So she called Jennifer's doctor and they said Jennifer never showed up.
1: Of course she didn't
0: and family and friends all said that this was out of character for her that she always everyone always knew at least one person did where jennifer was what she was doing and well yeah
1: and she seems like put together so if she made an appointment she would go to the appointment or call if she couldn't exactly sort of thing.
0: police immediately wanted to speak to Fotus. one because they found her car and they knew something was fishy and then they also knew something was wrong with her home being that there's paper towels missing and her purse is on the floor They found enough evidence at her home to know that there was a brutal attack that had happened though it was cleaned up. They used the luminol.
1: The police department or detectives will use luminol and it is a solution that reacts with blood to produce light. The luminol solution contains both luminol and hydrogen peroxide. The hydrogen peroxide reacts with the iron in the blood to produce oxygen. This oxygen then reacts with the luminol, changing the structure of the molecule and temporarily adding energy
0: which when you see movies and things like that when they do the lights and they shut it off and you can always tell when there's been like a gruesome murder like csi is the best because they always show it and you'll see like it light up that's what they did and they said that the garage was covered they knew something bad had happened so photos agrees to meet with the police and he brings his lawyer however according to the detectives and the behind the headlines interview he was six hours late They mentioned that he was also less than helpful. They ended up confiscating his phone because they had probable cause. Thank God. When they did this, they tracked his pings and found out that he was all over Albany Boulevard the night of the 24th in a highly trafficked and camera area dumping things in trash cans. Are you kidding me? Nope. Fortunately, they did find some of the evidence he threw away, not much. And what do you think was in him? Don't even look, what do you think was in him?
1: I would guess her personal belongings, or maybe, um, like, maybe what he killed her with.
0: Well, they found her bloody undergarments and zip ties. Oh, wow. Mm hmm.
1: I, like, how stupid do you have to be? Like, literally. So, shortly after this,
0: both Fotis and Michelle were arrested because it showed, the camera showed that he was with a woman, presumably Michelle, because how else are you going to convince another person to go dumping stuff all over an avenue?
1: Oh my. You know,
0: like, so I, they, that's why they think it's Michelle. Obviously there has to be some sort of proof to it because they were both charged with conspiracy to commit murder as well as tampering with evidence relating to this investigation.
1: Conspiracy?
0: Mm-hmm. Because at this time they don't know if if Jennifer's dead or not.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Please search through a trash plant multiple times because that's where his phone was pinging as well. They use cadaver dogs, but they have never been able to find Jennifer there. According to the Vanity Fair article on this case, the day before, Fotis also had been in contact with Kent Mawinney, I think I'm pronouncing that right, which was his attorney in the civil suit with Jennifer and Jennifer's mother about the custody of the children. So, Fotis had called the day before, and he had spoke to Kent's wife to ask if she would be willing to meet with Kent to talk at one of the Dulos' homes, which was super weird. It sounds weird when you read it. I'm not really sure what happened.
1: He probably was, like, trying to get
0: someone to, like, create an alibi, potentially, for him. Well, six days before this all happened... Two members of a gun and rod club that Kent had belonged to stumbled across a hole that was two feet wide and six feet long and three feet deep in the woods behind the club, and there was also two bags of unopened lime that sat within it. So when one of the members went back there again, two days before Jennifer disappeared, the bags of lime were gone.
1: Lime is in like a lime? Or lime is in...
0: Like the solution that can make your body not smell once it's buried. Okay.
1: Because I was like confused for a second. I'm, <laughs> why like, would there be a bag, bag of, of was, limes? Like, there was this <laughs> a bag of limes? Does that do something? <laughs> but okay, sorry, that was stupid. <laughs> They're not making salsa back that's, there. That's why I was like, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> that's why I was confused. But okay, but. So obviously this really. And they didn't think to report that? I'm no, just, like, I think they
0: did. That's why they, they found out about this. And that's probably why those bags were removed. And Jennifer was never put there because yeah, true. they were like, ding, 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 that what looks like happening? the exact, yeah. l- an exact place you'd put someone's body. Mm-hmm. And the police are not probably going to be going investigating a gun and rod club because those are all esteemed members. They're not gonna think that they're gonna bury someone out behind the building, you know? Yeah. Both Michelle and Fotis made bail, and again, a custody battle ensued with Jennifer's mother over the children. He also lost to Gloria Farber in the custody battle over those children. As evidence mounted against Fotis, from all accounts, it seemed as though they were going to try to do a no-body case against him. His charges were upgraded to murder, and the shell's original charges stayed the same. Before the trial for the murder began, while he was wearing his ankle monitor, which, real quick, for some reason, it didn't seem like if you are charged with conspiracy to commit murder, or you are charged... Or getting ready to be charged with murder. Wouldn't you think you'd be in jail? Not with an ankle monitor willing to roam the world free?
1: If you have enough money, it makes sense that he was on bail. Well, and I guess money does
0: do things for you. But it just, to me, this whole time it seems very weird that they are allowed to, like, go where... And it's not even like they were really on house arrest. It was just a monitor that, like, GPS tracked them wherever they went. So, he's at home wearing his monitor, so everyone knows exactly where he is, and he is late to his court hearing, and this was the one that they were presumably going to charge him with murder, and he was going to go to jail and get ready to start his murder trial. Well, they realize he's not coming, so they send people out to check and say, hey, where you at? Mm -hmm. He's sitting in his car with a suicide note, while it's on, committing suicide. Oh. Well, they put a stop to it. However, two days after that happened on January thirtieth, 2020, he died with complications of carbon monoxide poisoning. Good. Well, that's the thing. We don't know if he did it. So, before his death, he maintained his innocence, and he never admitted to murdering Jennifer. Even in his suicide letter, he maintained his innocence. He also made sure to put that Michelle and Kent had nothing to do with her murder either, or the reason she's missing. And, and that, how would
1: he know that if he didn't do it?
0: Well... That's my question. That's what I'm also wondering, but he claims that police staged everything.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. So... This is what I wanted to talk about. If he didn't do it, and he is not guilty, then why was he there? That's what everyone is wanting to know. If you didn't do it, why were you there? And where is she?
1: Well, you were on camera.
0: Well, he was wearing a hoodie, so you couldn't tell if that was him. It's presumably him, though. Because of his phone. Yes. And... Whoever had hurt Jennifer, when she drove home, she shut the garage behind her. So no one saw anything. The person that did this was lying and waiting for her to get home.
1: And I'm I'm assuming he knew about the home and how to get in and all that. I mean, he built homes for a living. He,
0: I don't think he had ever personally been inside that home alone, so he probably didn't really have, you know, a ton of knowledge because if he did do any of his visits there, they might have done it on a mutual ground, but he was with a court-appointed supervisor. Yeah. So I don't know if he had been in that home or not,
1: yeah, with the money that Jennifer
0: had, I'm ass- probably wondering- a mutual ground, she probably wouldn't want him in the house. Well, home. I'm
1: wondering if she owned that house prior to their marriage, even, or I that's why I'm wondering if he had been in it. I don't
0: think so. I don't think so. Um, I would like to say though, too, so because they were going to present a no body case because they had enough substantial evidence against him, the investigators have also publicly said that they believe he did it. So, part of me. I'm like, yes, he did do it. There's no way around it. Why was he there? Yeah. And then the other part of me is like, you also committed suicide. Was it because you were guilty or was it because you were so taxed out that everyone was accusing you?
1: Personally, I think guilty because there's just too much evidence, like too much. The fact that he asked the guy to change the seats because of a possible hair. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but no. <laughs> well, that
0: and you're driving up and down Albany Avenue dumping trash into public trash ba- trash cans hoping with that they
1: bloody underwear. Yep, like, bloody underwear, on. zip ties. There's no freaking way he didn't do. I just like po- personally, I don't think there's a way he possibly could not have done it with the evidence. The fact that he had bloody underwear of hers and he was dumping it very suspiciously. Mhm. That alone to me tells me he did it.
0: Yeah. Because why would would you have those? Yeah, why would you have those? Why would they be bloody? And my thing is, too, you know, Michelle Traconis swears to God she didn't do anything. She doesn't know anything. She didn't do anything. Highly doubt it. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I don't want to accuse someone that didn't have anything to do with it. Because in the movie, she... One of the lines was like, can you just tell me if you did it? Why do you always lie? Because she left him. She So she, I don't know if she's like covering her own ass. Like, hey, I'm leaving because I don't want to be associated with this guy yeah. that killed his wife. Or if she truly had no idea and she's just that naive why he would be dumping different things in trash
1: cans all over. I think over. she was in denial. I mean, we've come it- across this before where John List the guy that killed his family mm-hmm. in Manchester, his wife was watching TV, seeing his, her husband, literally being accused of killing his whole family. On America's and, Most Wanted, and right? And she was in denial, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's very, I feel like, common for people to be like, no way, my boyfriend, husband, family member, whoever it may be, can't do that, there's no way
0: yeah I, I just feel so, like I it's mean, that so could be. I mean i I would like to believe for the good of who maybe Michelle Traconis is that that's the case. but to me, as like an outsider looking in, you were literally with him while he was getting rid of evidence. that's true. and yeah. then not to mention. I didn't put this in there, but I am gonna say it. She was his alibi when police first oh, asked my them. Jesus. And she said that they he there was no way he could have been doing that because they were making love that morning in the shower.
1: Then how the hell was his phone all over the place?
0: That's exactly. And why was the, who took his phone? Yeah. Who took his phone? Why was there a truck that he was reportedly driving? And they even say that he tried to potentially frame his employee, making it seem like his employee. That doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. No, because you're using your employee's truck. He would have had that perfectly, like, somehow matched out.
1: premeditated.
0: Yep. So, just to kind of, like, let you know what has come from this case is... The children remain in Jennifer's mother's custody, and they were throughout the trial, and she now has permanent custody of the children. As Which is good. Exactly. That's what I was thinking, too. As for Michelle Traconis, she's awaiting trial, and that will likely be in 2022. She claims her innocence. Traconis must continue to wear her court-ordered GPS ankle bracelet while on bond. Wow. Ahead of the trial, yep. And they have motion to have it removed multiple times but they don't want her fleeing
1: well yeah and too freaking bad
0: right that's exactly what i'm saying like you maybe she didn't kill jennifer but she had enough information to know that like he did he did and she was with him while he was getting rid of evidence as for Kent and M- M- again, I'm really sorry if I'm saying this wrong. He was also charged with conspiracy to commit murder and disappearance of Jennifer. He's also had his attorney's motion to have his GPS removed because he wants to be able to coach hockey and he can't wear the skates when he has his ankle bracelet on.
1: You have a dead girl on the, your hands and you're telling me that's your, oh, I want to coach hockey, but my ankle bracelet's preventing, preventing me. me. Like, get the, oh my. Yep. And These people, I cannot. They're, you can tell they're rich, snobby. Oh, um, my Well, outside. I don't
0: know if Kent is as rich as Traconis and Dulos, although I feel like Dulos probably isn't really that rich anymore. Because, probably not. No, because Jennifer was taking him to court and they were spending like thousands, like whole, oh, yeah. uh, almost $100,000 a month in legal fees just I for fighting over can the only children. imagine,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, even legal fees for the murder cases. I'm yeah. sure.
0: And so crazy high. Actually, he had to return half the retainer to Dulos's estate. So the the lawyers did because when he committed murder, he had at one point gave them $250,000 for his legal fees mm-hmm. and they had to return half of that to his estate, which would probably go back to his children because yeah. now they don't have anybody to represent.
1: It's like, I'm just so confused. Where did that money come from?
0: Well, that's what I'm saying. Because at one point, they had said he was going bankrupt from the custody battles and things like that. And now that Jennifer's father isn't supplying his money. Plus, these homes are not really selling that well.
1: Yeah, so it makes me wonder if they're being dramatic about him being quote unquote poor. Mm -hmm. And his poor is like my rich yeah like <laughs> I'm just confused by that because I've heard of people being like that when someone is very very wealthy and then they're down to a hundred grand a year oh they're so poor now it's like but are they because that's like I wish I was that poor me too <laughs> me like, too come the heck on there's no way so yeah I'm wondering about that too
0: and I also wanted to mention too that Another thing that kind of incriminated Michelle and Kent was that they had, like, written alibis that police found in a trash can where, like, Michelle kept giving the same alibi over and over again, and they were like, well, that's really, like, memorized, and she was like, well, that's what happened, and he was like, really, because we found a paper that was wrote out with that exact statement on it, and they thought that was, like, um, hook, line, and sinker, you literally wrote out your alibi for yeah. him. And I guess Kent was somehow wrapped into that as well.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious as what their role in the, her murder is, because, like, why would they risk their lives to help him murder her?
0: I'm guessing money. And for Michelle, if Jennifer passes away, those children have huge trust funds that would end up being in, uh, FOTUS's, in, in FOTUS's control. So then he would be... So
1: like, promised money? Yeah, Yeah.
0: maybe he promised money, or they were, like... Maybe Kent was, like, his best friend. It was his lawyer throughout the entire custody battle. I mean, I don't really know, but my guess is usually no one agrees to put their life on the line like that unless there's a big sum of money at the end of it.
1: That, and also... It is very easy to manipulate people in thinking someone is quote-unquote crazy. Women, specifically, can be made to be, like, super nuts. Like, she's yeah. so crazy,
0: please help me get my yes. kids back, blah, blah, blah. So maybe he, like, pulled on their heartstrings to yes. try to help do whatever he did to Jennifer. I believe that he was the one that probably did do it. And they were just, like, the people after the fact that, one, Michelle was his alibi unfortunately for her she was caught on camera so now Mm -hmm. she's a part of it and then for Kent there's no explanation as to why at the club you belong to and then shortly after a woman goes missing there's two bags of lime yeah yeah very very
1: suspicious yeah
0: that's very hard for him to explain off now I'm going to explain really quick why everyone calls her gone mom Norman Pattis was the new lawyer for Fotis Dulos because obviously Kent got himself into a little bit of trouble. And I don't know if maybe Norm had better... I don't know, maybe maybe Norm was just a better defense attorney. I'm not sure. And one is a civil, one is a murder case. Mm-hmm. So Norm and Fotis' defense team said that the time frame that they had the day that she went missing was not sustainable and there was no way that he could have had enough time to murder her and hide her body. They say she faked her own death to make him look guilty and she is living out her life somewhere else. They said it was similar to the Gone Girl novel, which eventually turned into a movie. However, this is not true according to the family and friends of Jennifer because she loved her children and she would never leave them behind or stage something like this. The coroner also says in many reports that the amount of blood that they found in Jennifer's garage would have been enough blood to prove that she probably received a life-threatening injury that would not have been able to... You'd need... Extreme immediate attention like she wouldn't be able to heal from she would not be able to heal from it And she probably would have died almost instantly now They don't know what happened to her because one they've never found a weapon Fotis never told anyone what happened everyone always maintains their innocence. So like I had nothing to do with that I don't know anything Well, no one knows what happened They just know that there was so much blood in that garage that there's just probably no way she made it out of there alive
1: Okay, so let's say she did want to make him look guilty and he she ran away and whatever and is still alive, supposedly. Why would he go around dumping all this... Like, it doesn't make sense to why he would go to her house, then have bloody underwear and other objects mm-hmm. and go dump them around the city. Yeah, why would you help her make you look guilty? Yeah, why wouldn't you have just...
0: And then you're going to ask your employee to replace the seats in the truck. Which also, by the way, here's a hook, line, and sinker I forgot to mention. He didn't get rid of the seats. He went to the police after he found out Jennifer was missing, gave them the seats, and they found DNA on the seats, which was her blood, and it matched perfectly. Shocker. So that was like another
1: hook, line, and sinker. More evidence against him. uh, Yeah. For sure.
0: But he claims that everybody staged everything. Everyone was out to get him. And, like, friends and his family still, like... Are like, no, he's innocent. He didn't do this. Uh, I I don't, I I find it very hard. But at the same time, it's one of those cases. We had a case recently that was closed by exemption because the person, which was Jessica Baggins, where he killed himself Mm -hmm. so you just have to close the case and and just realize like the justice for the family is never going to come because that person killed himself the only way they're ever going to find out what happened to jennifer is if potentially michelle or kent if they truly had something to do with it comes forward and says hey this this is 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 where she is this is what happened Mm -hmm. if she went to the the trash plant there's a good chance you're never finding her again like almost zero percent and the thing is they immediately well yeah and they had them immediately checked with cadaver dogs and they couldn't find her so what i'm thinking is so between new canaan and farmington jennifer's out there if she is not in that trash plant
1: which surprisingly bodies disappear i feel like more than people think Well, it's so crazy
0: because there's so many cameras nowadays. I mean, they caught him like at least four times on camera, but yet they couldn't find where he drove and potentially put her body. I
1: I would like to look up that drive and see what it looks like because I'm curious to see the land from point A to point B because if there is a lot of open land or whatever you would Mm want to say, a very big possibility could be an animal could come get her if she was, you know, literally, unfortunately to say this, eat her Mm -hmm. and the bones would be scattered which would then make it almost impossible to find her Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, like, things like that happen depending on the drive. I'm not sure if it's like city driving or, um Highway. Yeah. Or what it well, is Well, I feel like there was a lot of highway,
0: but like I was thinking something more along the lines of if they are incriminating Kent, we know Michelle was at home. Mm-hmm. Kent's phone has pinged near some of the areas where they believe that her things were left to hide evidence. Was Kent the one that maybe they transferred her into his vehicle or maybe And then
1: he went somewhere else
0: and took her away? Because we have that specific timeline for photos. Mm-hmm. But we don't have someone else. I'm wondering if there's someone else that took her body somewhere and hid it, disposed of it, whatever had happened.
1: Yeah, that could make more sense because they're the fact that they're putting so much onto Kent and they're making it really seem like they know something that he is involved other than what is public. Well, yeah, he's charged with conspiracy to commit murder. Yeah. So I feel like, yeah, it, it sounds very heavy.
0: You might not have done it, but you had... Some sort of help in the process before like and maybe after.
1: Yeah, I'm curious. Did they check his car? Did I, they? I don't know. See if there was blood or hair or whatever.
0: I mean, he could have even went and got a rental car and did it. Mm-hmm. And then those things are professionally cleaned. And it, and they're not looking at Kent at the time. Yeah. And even if they did, you know, I'm just saying those are like possibilities. I'm not saying that's, that's right. what happened, but I'm just saying. It is a tight fit, and when Norm Pattis said, oh, that doesn't make sense, you know, he definitely could have done it if he knew everywhere, if it was perfectly planned out, which I don't think so, because if it was perfectly planned out, he would have known she was going to a doctor's appointment, and then that people were going to be looking for her yeah. right away. Yeah, so, he did
1: not have much time.
0: No, so I'm thinking he had someone help him, or he had it already pre-set up where he had placed her.
1: Premeditated, yeah. Mm-hmm. So what has come from Jennifer's case, Connecticut proposed a Jennifer law, which would then broaden the definition of domestic abuse in Connecticut to protect victims, even if they were not being physically assaulted. In an article done by the NBC Connecticut, the law, which was passed by the House of Representatives this past June, expands the definition of domestic violence in state law to include course of control. This means that threatening, humiliating, or intimidating acts that harm a person and deprive them of their freedom will now be considered domestic violence, according to the officials. The bill SB 1091 will establish a new program to provide legal representation for domestic violence victims who file a restraining order. Those who file restraining orders will also be faced with a more efficient process with the capability to email marshals the form needed to serve them. Previously, forms needed to be hand-delivered to the courthouse. Victims of domestic violence will also now be allowed to testify remotely in court proceedings for matters such as restraining orders, protective orders, or standard criminal protective orders. Which I really like because now they don't have to have the fear
0: because a lot of times women or children victims of any crime they can't even face going into the same room with the person that's been hurting them
1: yeah or they break down crying like they get scared
0: or they don't show up which
1: then makes them unreliable according to the court which I think is absolutely crazy like in the Chillicothe murder one of the murders in Chillicothe that we just covered the one that was shot in the head and the guy forced the people in the car to help mm-hmm. the one girl couldn't even handle the courtroom and she bawled the whole time and then they made her unfit uh, which it was a traumatizing is crazy. yeah it was a traumatizing experience
0: for her so that would be like that's something i feel like they should do in every state not oh, just connecticut because
1: mm-hmm. that's insane to expect a victim to face their abuser is absolutely ludicrous because there's so much trauma there to expect them to be coherent and normal is... Like, they're
0: scared. Asking a lot. Yeah, that's, that's asking a lot, and it's almost like re-victimizing them again, especially in, like, cases with sexual assault and mm-hmm. things like that. You don't want to be sitting on, on a stand with someone not even, like, ten feet away from you, looking at you, knowing that they have potentially, you know... Harmed you. Harmed you. Humiliated you.
1: Anything. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's crazy. I know we've said this before, but hopefully other people in this case will come forward and give closure to the family on what happened to her or even just more information on the situation because obviously no matter, you can always say, yeah, he did it. But until you have that actual proof of like, yes, he's convicted, he's in jail, which they're never going to get because he committed suicide, practically. It's in the air. You know, they're always going to wonder what happened to her, where's her body, what, you know, this, this, There's this. no
0: closure until someone has a person they can bury, a place they can go and bring flowers. And, and for her children, like, you would think if he cared so much about those kids, in that note, if he truly did this, which there is so much evidence saying that he did, he could have said, this is where you're gonna find her, or this is what happened. Mm-hmm. But he just couldn't do that. He always had to uphold this I'm this guy and I'm wealthy and blah, blah, blah. Like this, this and right, appearance. And I'm Yeah, he yeah. always had to uphold this appearance. And it just became so much worse when he had the money at his disposal given to him by her family. Mm-hmm. It's just ridiculous. So if you or anyone you know has information that can lead to the location of Jennifer Dulos, please call the New Canaan PD at 203-594-3500. If you do not feel safe with your significant other or a strange significant other, please call 911. If you're going through a domestic violence situation or need advice for someone who is, please call 800-799-SAFE. That's 800 799 safe 7233. It doesn't have to be physically violent. It can be intimidation threats. Jennifer's case exemplifies this. Join us next week as we cover more domestic violence cases to help bring awareness for this month. Thanks guys. Thank you.